There is a story told about a, about a police officer who sees a car puttering along at 22 kilometers an hour. And the officer thinks to himself, that this is just as dangerous as a car speeding. And they pull the driver over, and inside he discovers that there are five elderly women, and their eyes are wide open, and they are white as ghosts. And the driver says, officer, I don't understand that. I was doing exactly the speed limit. And the officer says to her, you, were, you weren't speeding, but you know that driving slower than the speed limit is also dangerous. And she says, no, I was doing exactly 22. And she points to the highway number sign that says 22 on it. And the officer explains to her, she says, no, the number 22 is the highway number, not the speed limit. So embarrassed, she says, thank you very much. I won't do that again. But the officer says to her, you know, before I let you go, I have to ask, is everyone in this car okay? Because the other women all seem to be awfully shaken up and very quiet. And the elderly driver says to him, oh, they'll be okay in a minute or so. We just got off of Highway 119. (laughs) Which, when you think about it, is actually the story of the difference between signs and symbols. Signs tell us what to do, but symbols tell us what to feel. Life is filled with signs everywhere, but living is filled with symbols. Most people only see signs, but those who are given to wisdom understand the depth and meaning of what a symbol is and what it does. Jewish holidays are a sign. Yisker is a symbol. I thought of this when a few months ago I read Anti Memoirs, the autobiography of a French writer named André Marot. Marot fought on the Republican side of the Spanish Civil War, He was captured by the Gestapo in the Second World War. He served in the government of Charles de Gaulle. Then he went on to a career in writing prize-winning novels. Moreau had a colorful life. And the book begins with a very pointed story. During the war, Moreau once escaped from the Germans in the company of a parish priest. When the two crossed paths much later on, Moreau asked his former companion what he has learned about human nature from decades of hearing confessions. And I've learned two things the priest told him. The first is that most people are much unhappier than you would think. And the second, he said, is the fundamental fact is that there are so few grown-ups. When I first read it, I laughed because it seemed rhetorical and funny. But when I looked at it again, I didn't laugh. And I began to why it was so true. To grow up means to be open to what hurts us, to how we have been wounded. To grow up means understanding where we hurt and why we hurt. To be a grown-up means owning what is wrong and what is lost and feeling it and learning to understand it all at the same time. When I look at life, I've come to realize that we live under a shadow of a number of lies. And this morning, I will share only one of them with you. 
It is the lie of promises. This is the lie that tells you that your life is supposed to work out in certain ways. This is a lie because we are supposed to have and become certain kinds of people. It's the promise that says that I should be healthy, that I should have a good job, that I should have financial security, that I should be happy, that I shouldn't face tragedy or loss, that I should be surrounded by care and love, and that when the time comes when I am ill, or if I face a business turndown or a reversal, or when I face tragedy, I said when and not if. It leads us to think that we're the exception. That we're somehow we are cursed and we are blotted and marked. We could think that what is wrong with me that this has happened. And that's why this is a lie. Because really there are only two kinds of people in the world. Well, those who understand their pain and loss and those who ignore it. But everyone has pain and loss. Which is to say that there are those who grow and there are those who don't. I look out at Yuskor and I see people who want to grow and not hide from what pains them. When you have one of these bad moments, you can either be broken down or you can be broken open. And we all know people who are broken down. They've endured pain and grief. They get smaller and they get angrier, resentful, and they lash out. As the saying is, pain not transformed is pain that is transmitted. But there are people who are broken open. And you realize that there are depths to yourself that you never anticipated. And then you discover what the ancient Greeks and facts realize of themselves. That you have to suffer your way to wisdom in this world. But you also have to be prepared to see it. The Swiss psychologist, Edward Claparede, undertook what, what would become one of the most influential experiments in trauma. In working with people who were suffering from memory loss, he discovered that they will forget the names of people that they've met, they'll forget what they ate, they'll forget where they've been, they'll forget who they love, and they'll forget what they like, but they will not forget pain. The body holds it, Claparede realized, that body holds on to it and it waits to see what kind of wisdom you'll draw from it. Which is to say that there's no getting past the loss of someone you love. There is really no such thing as closure. We might like to think that we can power past our grief, but that's a lie too. It's as copper it learned. It's now a part of you and it asks, what will you do with it? In times and days past, there are fewer options. Today we have an array of tools at our disposal to numb and blind and distract and even help people forget. In the past few years, British research discovered that by removing a neural protein, they were able to purge painful memories, which begs the question for us all on this morning. Would you want to forget? The promise, of course, would be that there would be no more heartache in your life. No more searing pain or loss of tragedy. It would all be gone. But it's like the words of Rabbi Harold Kushner who said that the loss of his child has made him a better rabbi, a better person, a wiser and more compassionate man, and he would give it all back in an instant to have his child back. But here's the thing. 
if we could change the past, if we could bring them back, of course we would. But this isn't the world we live in. So what is left for us to do is the one thing we can, which is not to forget. And more importantly, to live a life that is worthy of the love and lessons that they have taught us. Today we celebrate and conclude the second day of the holiday of Shavuot, a holiday that commemorates the drama that takes place outside of the land of Israel. We celebrate the giving of the Torah in the midst of the Sinai Desert, in the heart of the, of the Midbar of the desert. This holiday reminds us of something that we can easily forget. The Torah is a tale of the wilderness. It is no co co coincidence that the better part of the Torah takes in a place that is so inhospitable an environment, the desert wilderness. And it reminds us of the first lesson of Melrose priests, that the world is often a place of unhappiness. The other lesson we learn from the giving of the Torah in the midst of the desert wilderness is that God does not choose to give his Torah in a place where living is easy. It's because Judaism is meant to be lived in the heart of life's harshness. And even when the Israelites enter the land, they do not find a perfect, blissful environment, but they discover even more struggle and more difficulty. The desert prepares them. Or it as is in the wisdom of every Israeli cab driver that you will talk to, they will say, Achi, achaim zelo picnic. My friend, life is no picnic. This morning I began speaking about lies. And I want to finish with some truths. The first truth is, is that if you are in a wilderness, you need a map. If you are in a moment where you need to find how to move through the world, the Torah has mapped its coordinates. The words of the Yizkir that we are about to recite are a thousand years old. It emerged from the horrible destruction of the largest Jewish-European community of that time in the Rhine Valley, where one of every three Jews were murdered. One of every three. Men, women, and children, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters. The survivors created this very moment because they needed to say something and they knew that life would never go back to the way that it was and they wanted to learn from it. The Jewish tradition reminds us in this moment that we are not the first to lose people we love. And it is a hard and honest truth that we will not be the last. And we now step into these moments, formed and shaped by the wisdom of those who have come before us. Their strength tells you that we can grow into this. The second truth is, is that you need others. The Rebbe of Sons would tell a story to his followers about people on a journey. He would say that there was once this man who was lost in a forest, and he wandered this way and that way in the hope of stumbling on his way out, but as the time passed, he realized he was only becoming more lost. And then at the very moment when all hope seemed lost, in the distance he spotted another person who was walking in the woods. And he runs over to this person hoping that they might in fact know the way out. And he says to him, can you tell me the direction that leads the way out of the forest? 
And the man says to him, I'm sorry, I can't, I am lost too. And they sat quietly for a moment. Then the man said to him, you know, you've wandered in one part of this forest while I have been lost in another. And together we may not know the way out. But let us share the paths that we have failed. And together, we just might find the one that succeeds. And what is true for these lost wanderers, the Rebbe of San said, is true for each of us as well. We may not know ourselves the way out, but let's look for a new way out together. Together. I believe that it is this idea that inspired a psalmist thousands of years ago to sit and write these words. That I know they wrote that I shall yet see good in the land of the living. Not in some next world, not in some other life, but here in this world. Yes, we are broken, but let us remember that the only whole heart is also a broken one. Chag Sameach.